The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. October 24 edition, PFT PM. What up, people? been working all day, but I don't work. I've been going nonstop all day. I took a little nap. Let me peel back the curtain. I get the question every once in a while, do you sleep? Yes, I sleep. I am a normal human being. I'm not a vampire. Some of you think I'm a vampire. Some of you think I'm a cyborg. Some of you think I'm an asshole. That one may be accurate. (laughs) How perceptive of you. But I do sleep. I try to get four or five hours at night. Anything less than five, and I really have a hard time getting out of bed when the alarm goes off at 5.20 a.m. Eastern. But I will sneak an hour in the afternoon, and I got my hour today. So other than the hour that I've been unconscious, I've been working, not working, nonstop since 5.20 a.m., and we end the day, as we now do on most weekdays, with the PFTPM podcast, which is kind of a look back on the big news from the day that was, and also I have some structure, and sometimes I have some interviews, and oh, we have an interview today. Actually, we have two. Travis Kelsey of the Chiefs and Vernon Davis of Washington. We did not plan it to be tight end day on the PFTPM podcast. It just kind of happened organically and naturally, and isn't it better that way? There's been a lot of talk recently about authenticity. I never knew authenticity was something that was, I don't know, unique. Just be who you are. In everything and anything, just be who you are. Now, if you're an asshole, that can be a problem. But just be who you are. And you find your voice, you find your way, you find your path, and you find your your whatever. All right, that's the end of the philosophy lecture for today. How about this? For those of you who say, hey, why don't you talk about Colin Kaepernick more? I got something to say about Colin Kaepernick. Only because there's Colin Kaepernick news. According to the New York Post, Colin Kaepernick has signed a book deal. Yes, a book deal. Worth just over $1 million, Random House Imprint One World. One World is headed by Book World superstar Chris Jackson. And it was launched last year. It's an imprint, right? Oh, yes. Random House Imprint. It's not Imprint One World. It's called an imprint. Like these big publishing houses have different sub... I don't understand any of that stuff. He's got a book deal worth over a million dollars, which is more than he's making playing football. And I have to wonder a couple of things. First of all, somebody's going to be writing it with him. I'm fascinated to know who will get the gig of basically sitting down and talking to Colin Kaepernick, recording conversations and turning it into something that will be enjoyable to read because there is a skill, an art, there is a value in having someone who knows how to take information and turn it into a book that will cause people to turn the pages. It's one thing to get them to buy the book. It's another thing to get them to read and enjoy the book. And while plenty of books that get sold are being sold simply so they can say people bought them without regard to quality, most people care about quality. Most people would like to have a story that's told that is interesting and compelling. And when you get to the end, you wish there was more. With Colin Kaepernick, I don't know what it's all going to be about, but it should be very interesting. 
it'll be interesting to see if it becomes an issue in his collusion grievance, which is still pending. We may be talking to Mark Garagos, his attorney, at some point this week. If I were Colin Kaepernick's lawyer, I would say, please do not do any work on this book until the collusion grievance is over. Because anything you say can and will be used against you. That's not just a Miranda warning for criminal cases. In civil cases as well, anything you ever say, even if it's out of court, that ends up being used against you as a declaration by a party opponent or something like that. It's Rule 801 of the Federal Rules of Evidence. And my memory is becoming more and more faded the longer it's been since I've practiced law. But I remember when I first realized this It's not an exception to what they call the hearsay rule because hearsay typically can't be used. It's an exclusion from the hearsay rule because you can just say it's not, it doesn't even come under the umbrella because the person against whom it's being used is here in court and they can speak for themselves. And why the hell am I talking so much about the law right now? It does not count for any lawyers out there as continuing legal education, but there are apparently other sports websites that will sell you CLA. Okay. Anyway. If I'm his lawyer, I don't want any of this stuff coming out. I don't want him saying anything, writing anything, saying anything that could be used, that could be obtained. Because if I'm the NFL now, I'll say, hey, give me any tapes you've already prepared and produced in connection with this book deal. So I think they they do nothing on the book deal until the grievance is over. And and let me give you a quick little summary of my current thoughts on this grievance. Because I know most people say, oh, he'll never prove collusion. Oh, it's got this image of a big giant chamber where... You know, people are sitting around and there's cigar smoke and they're whispering and and they're 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 harumphing and and they come up with a secret agreement that here's what they're going to do and here's how they're going to manipulate the lives of people. Collusion is far different from that, and it's going to be proven, I think, ultimately by text messages and emails if it's proven at all. But I think between all of the various people out there, not just owners, not just league office employees. But scouts, personnel, executives, general managers, assistant general managers, in-house counsel, there's going to be a trail of breadcrumbs that Mark Garagos is going to have a chance to piece together. And that becomes not just the template for saying, look, look at these text messages and look at what it all shows, but also you end up aggressively cross-examining witnesses. And based upon some of the witnesses who were cross-examined in the Deflategate case, I, I... You know, for the NFL to win, everything's got to go their way. For Kaepernick to win, he's just got to pierce in one spot, right? And and it's not just the one little vulnerability on the dragon. There's plenty of spots where if you can bust through, you win. And if I were the NFL right now, if I were Roger Goodell right now, and I wanted to earn my extension, I would do exactly what Paul Tagliabue would have done. And I've talked to multiple people and they agree with me. This is what Paul Tagliabue would have done when confronted with this challenge. He would have gone to a team and he would have said to that team, how would you like to host a Super Bowl? Okay, here's one thing that I need you to do for me if you'd like to host a Super Bowl. You have to give Colin Kaepernick a job. Oh, why do I have to give him a job? Here's why. Because we're going to lose this collusion case. Because I understand how people communicate. I understand what's going to be on these phones. And I understand that the dominoes are going to fall in a way where this is going to end badly for us if we don't make it go away now. So, hire this guy, sign him, and you get Super Bowl 57. That's what he would do. 
behind the scenes, off the grid. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what would have been done. And as a way of getting things done and avoiding risk, minimizing risk, managing and controlling the potential worst case scenario, you don't want to lose a collusion case to Colin Kaepernick. You don't want to lose that, especially when, if it can be proven that at least 14 teams were involved, the CBA potentially goes away prematurely. All right, that's all about Colin Kaepernick. Marshawn Lynch had a hearing on his suspension. And one thing that I feel compelled to say, every time this comes up, because we all assume the NFL has judge, jury, executioner, appeals court, governor, pardon, power over this process. When it deals with on-field misconduct, there is a separate procedure. Hearing officers who are jointly assigned by the NFL and the NFLPA, jointly paid by them. In this case, it was James Thrash who heard the appeal. And apparently one of the big arguments was, hey, other guys shoved officials and they didn't get suspended. But what happened here was Lynch came from the sidelines, shoved the official. And when he realized he shoved the official and tried to take it back, he jerked the official back toward him. I think the standard rule of thumb in a case like that is when you realize that you're shoving an official and that there's going to be a consequence for it. Stop. Let go. Don't don't yank the official back towards you. And then when you throw on top of it the fact that Marshawn Lynch has just been a pain in the butt for the league office for years, they're not going to show him any grievance. They're not going to have any sympathy for him. I mean, for, for all we know, if he testified, if he spoke at this hearing, he can't resist his nature to be just brusque and, and, and salty and... Uh, and and he may have ex- exuded an attitude just because of that's that's who he is, right? And I think he's capable of being very charming. I like him from what I've seen of him. I think he's a character that the NFL needs. But I could see in a setting like this where he feels like he's backed into a corner, I could see him saying or doing something, maybe not even intentionally, that gets interpreted as he doesn't care. And he'd do it again. Hey, I, I would do it again in that same situation. That That's not the kind of thing that's going to, Keep the guy from being suspended, and he is suspended. Martavis Bryant, Steelers receiver, not traded. He finally goes on the record, and this is something that came up after we were on PFT Live today talking about Martavis Bryant and that stupid, ridiculous, he he called in sick. You don't call in sick to football practice or football meetings, especially when doctors are there. I, I feel bad that I didn't think of that, that I had to be be told that by Ross Tucker. Oh, it pains me to say that he did or said anything that is insightful because usually he just doesn't. Yeah, if you're a football player and you're sick, you go to the football facility because there are doctors there. And you don't have to sit in a waiting room and you don't have to deal with a bunch of snotty-nosed kids who are going to make you even sicker and you don't have to have a deductible or a copay. Why wouldn't you just show up? So he wants to be traded, or what did he tell Josina Anderson? He said, if his role doesn't change, he wants out. Okay, well, here's the thing. The trade deadline ends in seven days. So they only have one more game, Sunday night football, Steelers-Lions, where his role is potentially going to change. And if it doesn't change, they got two days to work out a trade. Oh, and by the way, the Steelers have no inclination to trade the guy. Why would they? What are they going to get for him? What do you get for a guy who was suspended for more than a year, who is one bad Friday night away from being suspended again for more than a year, what do you get? What possibly do you get by way of value? Meanwhile, you keep him around because, number one, he's good. Number two, Juju Smith-Schuster, who has essentially replaced him, could get injured. And then if he gets injured, and how many times have we seen that, where a guy gets cut or traded 
or allowed to leave via free agency, and then something happens to the guy who had taken his place. I think back 10 years ago, when Matt Schaub, who had been groomed and had been backing up Mike Vick in Atlanta, he he leaves just about a few weeks before they found the the dogfighting operation on the rural property in Virginia. So if they would trade Martavis Bryant and Juju Smith-Schuster injures his knee or I don't want to start listing all the potential injuries because then if it happens, hey, Florio, you, you jinxed him. But if he gets injured, then you wish you had Martavis Bryant. They already traded Sammy Coates once they got Juju Smith-Schuster. So somebody who cares about Martavis Bryant, somebody who's in a position to influence him has to say Martavis and not somebody with the Steelers. Because apparently it's not working within the Steelers. It's got to be agent who seems to be part of the problem here. All due respect. Family, friend, someone has to say, Martavis, Martavis, you're not helping yourself here. There's nothing you can do. They're not going to trade you. You're not going to talk your way out of town. And all this is going to do is hurt you. When you do become a free agent and teams are looking at their options, they're going to say, hey, Martavis Bryant, remember he had that great playoff game against the Bengals, but yeah, he had the substance abuse thing, but he seems to be doing well. But oh yeah, by the way, um... He, he, he really created a problem when he didn't get the football. Do we want that? Do we want to have to worry about that? Do we want a guy who's not going to be happy if he's not getting the ball as much as he wants? So it makes him less attractive in free agency. No one's going to trade for him, especially during the season. Who's going to trade for him during the season with the possibility of a, 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 a relapse without the infrastructure in place to support the guy? Remember, one of the keys to him being authorized to return to practice was he had to have rehab, ongoing rehab services set up in Pittsburgh. So what, he's going to get traded to Denver or somewhere else? And I just threw that out. Of, of course, Denver's probably not the place you want to get traded if you're trying to overcome uh, a marijuana habit. But anywhere you get traded, you're instantly going to have everything in place. I, I just I don't think he's thinking. And, and he said that he needs to think about taking care of his family. Well, a year ago, you weren't playing at all. Now you are. Now you're getting paid. And you're not going to suddenly get more money. Nobody's going to sign him and give him a huge contract. His best play is to keep doing what he's doing. My best play is to shut up because we've got two interviews and then we've got the awards. We're going to run through the awards quickly after Travis Kelsey and Vernon Davis. So without further delay, here is Chiefs tight end. Travis Kelsey. Travis, I don't want to pick at an old wound, but Thursday night, as the Raiders are driving down the field for what ultimately became the game-winning touchdown, where are you and what are you doing? Wishing that I could somehow have an influence on the game at this point. Um, no, it was just it. Uh, uh, all we could do was just trust in our defense to try and uh, finish the game off for us. Um, obviously, we had some things that didn't go our way. But uh, we have all the faith and confidence that they're going to get this thing right, and we're going to we're going to do better for them on the offensive side there late in the game, uh, with uh, managing the clock and trying to end with the ball in our hands, and not even have to put them in that type of situation. But it's a uh, it's just a nonstop battle to to learn and uh, and figure out what your team's made of, and um, you know what I mean. We fought till the end, so that's all we can really ask for. Do you have any superstitions that you adhere to in moments like that? Uh, no, no, I just kind of let it roll. There's nothing I could do at that point. I don't, I don't believe in too many superstitions. There might be just one, like before the game that, uh, that I do, but that's just because it's all, all funny games. Okay. So what is it? (laughs) I, um, I listened to one song 
and it's called uh, Burn On by Randy Newman, I believe. If you've ever heard it, I'm a Cleveland, uh, east side of Cleveland kid, so growing up, I um, I don't know why this song kind of just brings me back to always um, thinking about family and thinking about the uh, just where I am in life and, and how much I, how much I appreciate it. Well, it worked for the first five games of the season. The Chiefs were 5-0. and You have two losses in a four-day stretch. How hard is it to go on your mini-bye coming off of a Thursday night game? You don't play until the following Monday with those two losses in succession after everything had been going so well. Yeah, no, it's um, it's tough. I mean, heck, we were 5-0, and and then all of a sudden, seven days later, we, we lost two games. I mean, I think it was we lost two games within five days. So it was pretty uh, – it, it just gets you uh, – it gets you more geared up and ready to go. I feel like, at least that's how I feel about it. I'm, I'm anxious to get back into the building tomorrow and and hack away at practice and just get the game plan and and everything. So it's a uh, it's motivation knowing that you know we're going to get everybody's best shot. You know, we're uh, right now we're known as arguably the best team in the league right now. Where we know that we can beat anybody that that comes our way. So we're just uh, we're trying to execute our game plans and and go in there with the best strategies. And when you go from playing on a Thursday all the way until the following Monday, that's the closest thing to a full-blown bye. And your head coach, Andy Reid, has been phenomenal getting his teams ready with extra time. What have you learned? What have you experienced playing for Coach Reid that, that, that reinforces this idea that when he has extra time, it makes the Chiefs even better? I think that's just the trust that he's had uh, over the years. I mean, this is our fifth year together as, a, as kind of like a core group. Um, since Andy Reid's been here, I got drafted the same year he came in. Um, also had uh, Alex Smith came in that year. And uh, just everybody that was on the team then that's on the team now are, are, the, are the core leaders that have been with him for a while. And he trusts that, that not only we'll get the guys ready, but the guys understand you know, how much this means to, uh, to, the, to the ones that have been here for a while. Andy Reid has his system. He has his offense. He's run it for years. But the offense of the Chiefs seems different from an outsider's perspective this year. How different does it seem from an insider's perspective? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, his, his playbook is just nonstop growing. And uh, that's what makes it so fun. And, 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 to be, and I owe a lot of, I mean, just about all of the success that I've had in the NFL is because of him and Alex Smith. I mean, the guy that thinks of the plays that put me in these certain situations to have success. Um, and then Alex being able to, to put, the, put the ball in the money. And it's um it's it's a nonstop growing growing scene here that uh that Coach Reed is going to come with a new uh, kind of twist to to even the the crazy stuff that he has. So I, I definitely thank Andy Reed for you know, being the the guru that he is. And you mentioned Alex Smith. He seems different this year. He seems like he's more willing to take chances, throw the ball down the field. What have you noticed in Alex Smith that is different from him this year than past years? Man, that happens to be the most common question I get. And to be honest, I really don't see anything week to week that's different uh, from last year to this year. Um, he's always been the first one in, the last guy out, uh, the the captain kind of just the leader of this offense and, and frankly, of this team right now. And I, I honestly believe that he's just taking it upon himself to – to up his game to a whole nother level. I mean, he's just, it, I think it's just a mentality that he's had, and uh, his decision making has been spot on, and we're rolling with every single decision that he makes right now. 
It's definitely an awkward situation with Patrick Mahomes on the roster. Everything that the Chiefs gave up to get him. Alex Smith has been there. How closely do you pay attention to when those two interact? Oh, I mean, it's it's every day. Pat's uh, right there trying to learn everything he can from Alex, and Alex is uh, he's trying to help him out as much as he can. But I think uh, what what Alex has done best is just he's he's been running this offense to a T. So he's showing. Uh, Patrick, just how to, to execute it. Um, and what Mahomes does in practice is just unbelievable. I mean, what we've been able, what kind of behind the scenes stuff that you guys haven't seen on Sundays is Mahomes is getting better, getting more fluent, getting uh, more comfortable just being an, uh, a professional athlete and uh, kind of understanding the, the scheme and the timing, the how, how much. Uh, how long the seasons are and things like that. He's he's gauging all this stuff, and I think when he gets on the field eventually, um, knowing that he's a, he is going to get the keys of the car eventually. I mean, that's that everyone knows that. And when he does, I uh, I can't wait to see how, just how good he is. And so much of what you said, Travis, amazes me, in part because if I were Alex Smith, I don't know that I'd be big enough. I don't know that I'd be mature enough to take the time to try to teach the guy who's eventually going to take my place how to drive that car. My attitude would be, hey, you're on your own, pal. I'm keeping the keys as long as I possibly can. Are you surprised how Alex Smith has embraced Patrick Mahomes and actually helped him in trying to take over? Not surprised at all. Not surprised at all. I mean, Alex is the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate competitor, but at the same time, he's the ultimate teammate. And he's nonstop. That's what the best leaders do is that they make guys around them better. Um, and right now, he's helping He's helping Mahomes understand just how to be an NFL professional. I mean, Alex knows how it feels to have that much pressure and really not have that much success in your first couple of years. So, I mean, for him to go through all of that, I'm sure he doesn't he, – he would hate to see Mahomes have to go through what he went through in San Fran. I think it was seven, six, six or seven uh, offensive coordinators over there that he had before he, um, he came to Kansas City. So, I mean – he went through the works over there, and I honestly think that he's the ultimate teammate and embraces that, uh, you know what, If while I'm here, I'm still balling, I'm still doing my thing. I know this is, uh, this is my ship to drive right now, and uh, why not help out the, uh, the future and help out this, uh, this kid grasp his, um, his professionalism. Hey, and Smith and Mahomes, not the only guys on the roster to take a snap. One of my favorite formations of the year was your last Monday night game against Washington where you had the snap with Alex Smith right behind you, a running back on either side, and I get the feeling we're going to see that again, and I get the feeling at some point Travis Kelsey is going to be throwing a pass. Is that off base? I don't know what you're talking about right now. I have no idea what Sure you don't. You're referring to. I don't know if you noticed. I left the game from a concussion not too long ago, so my my memory from before that has kind of been off. Um, like I said, Coach Reed's offense is nonstop growing. It's uh, it's it's constantly evolving. Last year we did it with Spencer Ware. Right now he's kind of banged up. Um, not kind of banged up. Hopefully Spencer can get out there a uh, full 100% next year. But um, yeah, it's a it's a little wrinkle that, that I think coaches. Uh, is comfortable with knowing that I ran the Wildcat in college and I was a, a former quarterback, so I'm not um, – I'm comfortable with being back there. You mentioned the concussion. What number is that for you that you know of and how scary was it to, to have that concussion that uh, – you recovered from it quickly, but still you had to deal with it. 
Yeah, no, it wasn't scary at all. I mean, uh, the hit was, I didn't think it was a very um, dirty hit. I think we were just out there playing football, and, you know, that sometimes you just can't, yeah, there's a lot of fortune that comes into this game, you know, how you land, how you get hit, um, how you plant, you know, some things you just can't really, you have that much control over. And when I got hit, my head, the back of my helmet just whacked the, the turf, and I mean, it's a, it's a little bit harder on turf hitting your head than it is on, on regular grass. I can tell you that. But I remember the entire play. It was just uh, it was a little foggy for me um, when I went back out on the field before half. And from there, it was uh, I just went up to the doctors and told them, you know, I, I just don't feel like the same right now. It, it kind of feels foggy. And from there, it was uh, they just made it a um, kind of a precautionary, listen, we can't have you go back out there if you're, if you're feeling a little woozy. So, so you self-reported. And, that I mean, doesn't happen very often. We're winning the game. And, no, I mean, I, I, that doesn't happen very often with me, uh, thank God. I mean, it's, it's a very, like I said, a lot of fortunate, that, uh, they, like the fortune that comes into playing this game. Hey, Travis, before I let you go, tell me about your partnership with Packy's Carolina Reaper Madness Chip, a.k.a. the hottest chip in the world. The hottest chip in the world. And, uh, and Pocky, with, with, it's P-A-Q-U-I, I believe. But it's, uh, it sounds like hockey. And it's, um, it, it's the Pocky One Chip Challenge is the hottest chip uh, in the world. I mean, it's no joke. Like, literally, it had me in tears, runny nose. You can go on any of the social media, any of my social medias, and, and watch me uh, go through the, the pain and misery of trying to eat this chip. And it's, um, it's aggressive. I, I challenge everyone to um to see whether or not they it's re, it's the real deal or not uh, you can go on pocky.com dot com and, uh, and and grab the chip but the chips in general are all natural uh, tasty chips it's uh, it's not just the 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 trash stuff that you're getting at the gas station it's literally the uh, the new wave of uh, potato chips and man I love it and it is amazing how the human animal embraces. The, the the kind of food that makes you cry and makes your nose run, and we love it, and we can't get enough of it. Can't get enough of it, man. I'll tell you what, I had about 15 to 20 friends try it since I tried it, and I literally I laughed my tail off at everyone's reaction because they're just in shock. It's, uh, it, it's just a, an uncomfortable feeling that you didn't know you could get that uncomfortable. So. Well, I am going to have to get my hands on some and try it myself. Travis, as always, congratulations on your success. Thanks for some of your time. Good luck moving forward. All righty. You know, until the next time. Have a good one, guys. Okay, continuing along with tight end day here on the PFTPM podcast, a guy who was a first-round pick of the 49ers back in 2006, still going strong at age 33, second season in Washington. He's tight end Vernon Davis. And Vernon, when you look back at your career, give me the way that your game has changed the most. I feel like the, 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 the change that I've made in my game is uh, my, the mentally. Mentally, I've gotten better. I've gotten, I feel like I've gotten stronger mentally as just as far as my preparation and, and all of the, the visualization uh, that I put in uh, throughout through now and uh, as I continue to move forward. How hard has it been for you to go from that period of time where you were clearly the guy, one of the top pass-catching options for the 49ers, to a guy who's just he's, – he's a piece of a bigger puzzle. You've got a role. You perform it. But there are plenty of other guys who are part of the, the overall offensive attack. Um, you know, it's good to me. I mean, right now, 
in my career, I've, I've learned a lot. You know, I've been through a lot of, in a lot of situations where I've had humbling experiences. Uh, like you said, you go from being that guy to all of a sudden uh, taking, playing a role. And for me at this point, I just feel I'm just elated to, to be able to have a part and be a piece uh, to a puzzle where I can contribute to helping the team win. Was there a point, especially in 2015, after you go from the 49ers to the Broncos, and for whatever reason, you know, it's got to be hard to, to fit in with a team and fit in with an offense while the season's ongoing. Is there a point that year where you just think, that's it, it's done, I'm just going to be moving on from football after this season? Oh, yeah. you have. There's so much doubt, and just um, you become such a pessimist when you're in that kind of, situa- kind of a situation. Um, it's, it's it's extremely tough uh, from a from a mental standpoint, and I, and I say that because you you just you feel like you're at the end of your career. Maybe you need to hang it up. There's just so many things that you want to do negatively that you know it can it can affect you in your game and just in your life. So you you either fight or you give up. You, and I feel like I I did a great job fighting and and just staying in there mentally and just uh, remaining positive. And when we go back to early 2016, the aftermath of the Super Bowl, you get the victory, but you're wondering what you're going to do with your career. How much interest was there in Vernon Davis when you became a free agent? I don't know. I didn't I didn't waste any time signing with the Redskins. I, for, for me, I felt like the Redskins were the only, pretty much the only option that I had, you know, when I, after leaving Denver. I, I, I feel that way. Maybe, you know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. I, who, who knows? But, when I heard that the Redskins were interested in me, uh, I didn't hesitate. I was like, wow, this is a great opportunity to go back home and play for my hometown team. It's a dream come true, so I might as well pick up the opportunity. How much was Scott McLuhan involved in that process? Because he was the guy who was there, he saw what you could do in San Francisco, and then he was in Washington. Was he the main reason why Washington made that move? Uh Scott McLuhan was the integral was an integral piece in me coming to the Washington Redskins. He was he was a catalyst. Uh, I say that because he did draft me to the San Francisco 49ers, and um, so I'm very thankful for him um, uh, giving me an opportunity to come back to Washington D.C. and play for my hometown team. The last time we spoke, it was before free agency. You didn't know what you were going to be doing. And you had to be thinking with Scott, he was either out or on the way out. Everybody knew which direction the wind was blowing. Did you think it was going to make it harder for Washington to keep you around if he wasn't going to be part of the decision-making process? Uh, no, I, I didn't think so. I, I, you know, I, I see good. I see good in every opportunity. I, I see good. And I, I felt like, you know, I, I did my part. I, you know, I, I played my role, and you know, I treated everyone the way I would like to be treated. And you know, I can only just just hope for the best and and just uh, stay positive about about the situation. So I, I wasn't really worried about that. He's Vernon Davis with us here on PFT Live. I was impressed looking at the box score from Monday night's game that there were eight different Eagles who caught passes. And then I looked over on the Washington side and there were nine players who caught passes. How do you keep everybody happy as an offense when the ball is being spread around so evenly and there isn't that one guy that's racking up gigantic numbers? Well, I feel like football is moving towards uh, uh, having – 
multiple multiple receivers who are all getting involved, it, and that's how you keep defenses on it on the you know on their heels because you have so many so many different weapons. Now they don't know who to cover. They can't just cover Terrell Pryor or or Josh Doxson. They have to account for everyone, and, and that's what football is is moving towards. And it, it's good. It's good. You just have to, as a wide receiver, you just have to be humble enough to understand that hey, we're not going to just throw you 10 to 20 passes a game. We have so many weapons and it's good. It's a good thing because now we can, we, we put ourselves in a better uh, space in order to win games. You mentioned Terrell Pryor, and I've interviewed him a couple times, and, and I've watched him closely throughout his career as a quarterback and receiver. And my impression of him, Vernon, has been, number one, incredibly freakish natural athlete. Number two, bust his butt. Number three, great attitude. So when you when you throw all that together, you put him in Washington. He had 1,000 receiving yards with the Browns last year with all their various quarterback issues. You put him with Kirk Cousins. You put him on the team. It's going to work perfectly. What what? Why hasn't it clicked the way that we thought it was going to? Uh, sometimes I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's. I feel like everything life is uh, everything's all predicated on timing. You know, it's it's timing. His his path is his path, and uh, who knows? I'm not sure what it is, but eventually, you know, it will happen. I mean, it will happen for him. It will happen for um, for this team. Uh, he'll he'll come around. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. I you, you can't you don't really know until you really dissect it and and see what's going on. But like you said, Terrell Pryor is a freakish athlete, so I don't feel like nothing can hold him down. Nothing can hold him back because what's meant to happen for him will happen. And, and and I don't I don't want you to name names unless you choose to. But you know you've got teams like the Steelers where there's a Martavis Bryant who's openly disgruntled and it was going back and forth as to whether he was or wasn't. Now he admits that he is. Did do you have any of that stuff in the locker room where you've got any guys who are thinking, hey, I should be getting the ball more than I am, and I'm not happy about it? Uh, no, I, I don't feel like we, we don't have that on. We don't we don't have that here in Washington uh, with the Washington Redskins. We don't. I, I've not seen that since I've been here. But I have been on teams where. Um, you find guys who who feel like they should step up and, and complain about their targets. Uh, I was actually one of those guys when I was in San Francisco. It, it happens. It's, it's, it's growth. It's just growth and, and maturity. So when when a guy acts that way, we it, it's just one of those things. He just you know you just grow. You you learn and you grow and and you get better as a as a player. And it's it's awesome. It's awesome to go through those things where where you, where you can look back on your reflect back on your career and be like, hey. I can't believe I complained. You know, I, I do it all the time. What was the biggest lesson you learned in the aftermath of the time that you complained to get the football more? Uh, I feel like the biggest lesson I learned in, in complaining about getting the football, you learn that, hey, it's not just about you as a player. What's going to happen for you is going to happen no matter what, and no one can stop it. You know, if it's, if it's meant for you to get 10 to 12 to 15 targets a game, then it will happen eventually. Maybe for this team, maybe for another team. You, you you never really know when it will come, but it will come if it's meant to be. So I, I just learned uh, uh, to be more humble, be more humble, and and put my team first, and know that you know it's not just about me. It's more about winning than it is about an individual getting uh, a certain amount of targets. Vernon, this is your second season now working with quarterback Kirk Cousins. He's been franchise tagged two straight years. What have you noticed by way of the biggest change in him from last year to this year? I feel like the biggest change in Kirk Cousins is that he's he, he's just 
his, his, his mindset. His mindset. He's getting better and better. He's becoming more of a legal, uh, 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 more of a uh, leader. He's more vocal in the huddle. He's just taking charge, and you can see it. You can see it in his eyes. He's determined, and he wants to win. He wants to win. So he's being that leader that a uh, quarterback's supposed to be. So I, I saw that change from the time I first walked in up until now. Does the fact that, that he doesn't have a long-term contract, doesn't have that, that seal of approval from the team that makes him a franchise quarterback, does that, does that act as any type of an impediment to how the players react to him as a leader? No, no, I don't think, I don't think that's an issue for us. Uh, what, what's happening with Kirk is between Kirk and the upper management. Right? It has nothing to do with the rest of the team. Um, there's nothing we can do. It's out of our control. We, we can't control that. You know the the you know the, the sentiment there with with them and, and and it's just it's just one of those things you you can't worry about that. Our main focus is winning games and that's what we have to do collectively uh, as a team. We have to focus on winning games and everything else will take care of itself. The 49ers are currently 0-7, your original team, team you became a star player with. You got a good look at them a couple of weeks ago, and even though their record says 0-7, I mean, they look like they maybe are moving in the right direction. What was your impression when you got to play them on the field and see what they currently have going on? Uh, I feel like, they're, I feel like they, they have some great things going for themselves. So just because they're, you look at the record and you be like, they're, they're 0-6, 0-7, that doesn't matter. I mean, they're going to get better. They're a young team, building team. They just brought in Lynch as the, as the GM and uh, Shanahan as the as, as the head coach. They're a young team, young organization, young group. So they're only getting better. They have some great things working for them. Their front seven defensively. I mean, I mean, those guys are they're, they're, those guys are awesome. They're, they're, that, that, that defensive line that they have, they're. they're I mean, that's. They're impeccable right there. That's an area where they're they're already fantastic. So they have to continue to build around that. And offensively, they they build around what they have. Their receivers. They have Pierre Garcon over there, who's who's uh, uh, he's just one to me. He's he's one of the best to, to do it, man. Uh, especially uh, since he's been playing, uh, he, he's fantastic. So they just have to build around the things that they have and get better. Hey, Vernon, before I let you go, you know uh, a thing or two about some football teams. You know a lot also about the USA Curling team. You and the USA Curling team joining Cheetos to encourage America to follow the team and their quest for greatness using the hashtag DoTheCurl all fall and winter long. Tell us what you have going on with uh, Cheetos and USA Curling. Right now it's an honor to, to partner with Cheetos and their effort to bring more awareness to the sport of curling. Right now they're, uh, they're using the platform of professional football to engage a vast audience of, uh, and, and maybe uh, influence the sport even more. So uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, I look forward to it because a lot of people don't know. So they're, they're trying to educate um, everyone on this, on this sport because it is truly uh, a great sport. We just have to understand it more and, and get behind it. What attracted you to curling? After after I was introduced to it in San Francisco, um, you know the, the the U.S. curling team invited me out. They wanted to make me an honorary captain. I took the offer, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool. I, I like it." I think the thing that attracts me, that makes it intriguing, is that it's all about strategy. In football, football is all about strategy. You come up with, with a way, you visualize yourself executing, 
and and, and you make the move. You, you you do it. And that's what caroling is about, and and, and I love it. I think it's, it's it's so much fun, very competitive. And and I mean seriously, curling is one of the the few sports where you actually could eat Cheetos while participating in a game. You can't do that playing football. <laughs> you can on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you probably get in trouble for that during a football game. And then if you got Cheeto crumbs everywhere, you know, with curling, you, you got the you got the brushes, you got the brooms, you're good to go. You clean up the mess, you hide the evidence of the Cheeto consumption. And I, look, I've, I'm, I've been a big fan of curling. It's a fascinating game. It does have a ton of strategy. It's one of the things that makes the Olympics great because that's the time every four years we really get to focus on curling and many other sports that otherwise aren't on our radar screen. So Vernon, congratulations on your ongoing partnership with USA Curling and Cheetos and the NFL. You've been a tremendous success and it's great to see you still going strong at age 33 and we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you, guys. Okay, thanks again to Travis Kelsey and Vernon Davis for giving us some of their time. And uh, Pac- the Pocky chip, the hottest chip on the planet. I have to try that. I don't need to be told to try Cheetos. That was the the sponsor that presented Vernon Davis. I have eaten plenty of Cheetos this week and probably will eat even more this evening. Before I go raid the cupboard for Cheetos, puffed and or crunchy, Uh, Time for the awards coming out of week seven. Offensive, defensive, players of the week, coach of the week, rookie of the week, game of the week, player of the week, and win of the week. And and I don't know, I think I may be slipping others in here. This thing's gradually expanding each week. Let me start with offensive player of the week, and I have to give it to a guy that I called out last week on Thursday. I said, look, if Derek Carr is going to earn that title of now second highest paid player in the NFL, thanks to Matthew Stafford, you got to show up in prime time. He had had two consecutive horrific performances in prime time. So it was time for Derek Carr. And he showed up 29 for 52, 417 yards, three touchdowns, and that drive to win the game down the field. The throw to Jared Cook was a thing of beauty. I think that was a touchdown. I don't want to relitigate that, but I think that was a touchdown, but I'm glad it wasn't because it gave us the play from the, the one that looked like a touchdown for a millisecond by Michael Crabtree before it was pass interference. And then then the, the play from the, 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 the 10 and then the two untimed downs, and it was great. And the final throw on that second untimed down to Michael Crabtree, thing of beauty, something you can tell that they've worked very hard to perfect, and perfected they did. And the Raiders, a season-saving win. This doesn't mean they're going to end up in the postseason, but if they, if they lost that game, they're not winning the division and they're likely not making it to the playoffs. So it was a huge performance in a big spot by Derek Carr, Offensive Player of the Week, Defensive Player of the Week. And this is more of a season-long Defensive Player of the Year acknowledgement. Calais Campbell with 10 sacks. He had two more as Saxonville. They're Saxonville every other week when they're good. They're just the old Jaguars on the even number of weeks. And I can't remember a team like this that goes good to bad like clockwork. But when they're good, they're great. When they're good, they're dominant. We're, we're looking for the team of density this year, and the Eagles are the closest thing we have. Or the Jaguars in odd-numbered weeks. I mean, if they had played weeks 2, 4, and 6, like they played 1, 3, 5, and 7, they'd be 6-1 and one or 7-0, and oh, and we'd be saying this is the 1985 Bears all over again. So Calais Campbell, player of the week defensively, with two more sacks, 10 for the year, and the Jaguars on pace to shatter the single-season sack record rookie of the week and hey Deshaun Jackson Deshaun Jackson Deshaun Watson was on a bye Deshaun Watson was on a bye Deshaun Jackson was not 
So Deshaun Watson, he usually wins the award every week he plays. He's going to have a hard time week eight, though, playing at Seattle. But no Deshaun Watson week seven. How about Eddie Jackson, the rookie safety in Chicago? A pair of defensive touchdowns, the only touchdown scored for Chicago that day, and a 17-3 win over the Carolina Panthers. And uh, what, a, what a draft this is. Even though they only had five picks, Mitchell Trubisky, Eddie Jackson, and Tariq Cohen. 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 What the hell's wrong with me? Cohen. Tariq Cohen. I got so caught up in getting the first name right, I screwed up the last name. Tariq Cohen. Yes, Tariq Cohen, the, the great young running back for the Chicago Bears. So Eddie Jackson, rookie of the week for the two touchdowns that ended up being the difference in what many were surprised by. But, hey, blind squirrel chewing on acorn. I said the Bears were going to beat the Panthers, and yes, I was wrong about a lot of other things. Actually, this week, though, I don't talk about it when the weeks I'm like 7-7 and or 8-7 and or 7-9. and 13-2 for week 7. The only games I got wrong were the Chiefs, which that one could have gone the other way. And the one I really don't want to mention, I thought the Cardinals would beat the Rams. I thought the Cardinals would score a point against the Rams. Coach of the week, and, and I was tempted to go with Sean McVay. Uh, we'll, we'll wait for a week when there's actual in-game decision-making that's required and, and adversity to overcome. I got to go with Sean Payton, the Saints head coach, to go into Lambeau Field. And it's still Lambeau Field. I don't care if Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Bart Starr aren't the quarterback. It's still Lambeau Field. And you're the Saints, who traditionally have been not a great team away from the Superdome, although in recent years it's swung the other way where they're better away from home than they are at home. Well, they were great away from home. They were favored to win. The Packers went up early. Drew Brees had a couple of interceptions, and Sean Payton held them together, and they won by nine at Lambeau Field. An amazing outcome. They go in there supposed to win, favored by six. It doesn't make sense, and they cover. And Sean Payton's doing something right. This team has won four in a row after starting 0-2, and it reminds me where, you know, we, we get through the first two weeks, and and immediately, Shefty with the early morning tweet, the percentage of teams that go 0-2 and, and so many make the playoffs. Right, because one of the reasons is you're 0-2 because you, you suck. That's why you're 0-2. You're not a good team. And statistically, there were eight of them this year. Somebody's going to turn it around. The Saints did. The Falcons were 2-0. The Saints were 0-2. Now the Falcons are 3-3, and the Saints are 4-2. And and it's been fun to watch. And to take a team that's favored to go uh, into Lambeau Field and win and keep them focused and keep them from from not giving up, from not being overwhelmed by the mystique of Lambeau Field, regardless of who's playing quarterback, kudos to Sean Payton, coach of the week, for the win by the Saints that puts them at 4-2 and and alone for now in first place in the NFC South. Game of the week, I already mentioned Derek Carr, but without question, look, I love any game where one or both teams scores in the 30s. And typically, like, I can't be 31 to 10. I want, or 33 to nothing. I want 31-28. I want uh, 30 to 27. I love the score 30 to 27. That means it was a good, exciting game that went back and forth, and it wasn't it wasn't a ridiculous 56-53 where there's no defense being played at all. 31-30 was the Raiders Chiefs score. That's right in the wheelhouse of games I love. It was the game of the week. It was so good that it made the Sunday games look like crap in comparison because it's like going to a, it's like going to a restaurant and you get a really great appetizer and then they just bring out just like crap. Crap served on a shoe as the meal. 
It's like the appetizer ruined the meal. The appetizer is so good, the rest of the meal is horrible. The rest of the weekend was bad. But Thursday night was excellent. Game of the week, Raiders over the Chiefs 31-30. to The play of the week came on Monday night. And I thought about making Carson Wentz the offensive player of the week. He'll get it eventually. Had to give it to Derek Carr because I really, I really, you know, hey, man, you stink in primetime. Well, you showed me, and so you're the offensive player of the week. Carson Wentz, we know he's good. He's an MVP candidate, if not the MVP favorite. If you haven't seen the Dutch Destroyers piece from ESPN, find it. We have a link to it on Twitter. It was excellent work by ESPN. I'll criticize ESPN when I need to, and they give me plenty of things to criticize them for, but... That is a praiseworthy piece, and kudos to Carson Wentz. He wears the Dutch Destroyer bracelet for the the boy who died of cancer earlier this year. The boy was buried in Carson Wentz's jersey. A very moving piece. I don't want to ruin the thing for you, but you still should watch it. The play where he was caught behind the line of scrimmage last night and presumably swallowed up by the pass rush and shot out of the cannon and was gone. That is that That's the thing where I, I worry about Carson Wentz because I say... Look, we see quarterbacks who embrace contact, they get hit, they get hurt, and it's going to happen to him eventually. But maybe he's the exception. Maybe he's the guy who who can drop a shoulder, who can dive head first, who can do all sorts of things with his body and not get injured. I, I don't want the Eagles to find out the hard way, and I think they would prefer that he not be that physical, but it's working for the Eagles, and it was the play of the week for Week seven. Finally, the win of the week. Look, Super Bowl 51 rematch. And and a lot of people thought the Falcons would win. I didn't. I thought it would be a blowout. And 23-0 feels like more of a blowout than 23-7. There was a garbage time touchdown by the Falcons. But the, the Patriots dismantled the Falcons. And these two teams that met for the Super Bowl title are now moving in very different directions. And it feels like the Falcons are are not adjusting well to the change in offensive coordinator, and it feels like it could fall apart for them quickly. Meanwhile, the Patriots, people were ready to write them off at 2-2, two and two, and I said, you can't write off a Bill Belichick coach team. Yes, their defense is horrible. Give me the worst defense in football, and give me one person to fix it, and that one person would be Bill Belichick. So, win of the week, the Patriots over the Falcons on Sunday night football. Week 7, looking interesting. We'll get you, or week 8, rather. We'll get you ready for week 8 as the week continues to unfold. We've got some more guests lined up for the PFTPM podcast. Remember to subscribe and rate and review and tell your friends and listen to it on the way home from work or listen to it uh, if you're at work or listen to it if you're just sitting at home staring at the wall like David Putty. Whatever it takes, I think you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. And I always say this at the end. If you've made it this far, if you've listened to every dumb thing I've said for the last 40 minutes and you're at this point, there's a chance you like it. So do all those things I said so we can... uh, uh, we can brag to our friends about how great our podcast is doing. And we'll be back with another PFT PM podcast on Wednesday. Check us out at profootballtalk.com. And remember, every morning, weekday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, it's PFT Live on NBC Sports Radio. First hour on NBC Sports Radio only. Second hour and third hour simulcast on NBCSN. Thanks for some of your time. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.